Welcome back. Let's get straight into the next five points. We're talking about real Christianity. I'm talking about real Christianity versus that 2.0, 3 5, 15.0, whatever is out there today. There is so much nonsense out there. I don't even know how to categorize it all. So I'm going to start with Mark 12 and verse 30, where Jesus said, You'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's what real Christians do. Now, we're going to define that love as we get into this, but that's what real Christians do. God demands that He be absolutely number one in your life, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Now, obviously the question comes up, well, why? That's a pretty big demand. Yes, that is a big demand. And my answer to that question is, you are asking to move into God's house with Him for all eternity. Would you just let anybody move into your house with you? I don't think so. And God's not going to let just any old body move into his house with him. And if you'll think about it, you don't want just any old body moving into heaven. I mean, I live on earth. I got all the trouble I want right here. Why just take it from here and stick it in heaven? That's not going to be heaven. That's just going to be earth 2.0. I don't want that. I want heaven. And so God demands that we love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, because if we don't, we'll just ruin heaven when we get there. Actually, I don't think God would let you in if you're hardened in the right place, but I think you get the idea. Now, in the Bible, love is not just a bunch of fluffy, feel-good stuff. It's not just positive thinking and motivational things and that kind of thing. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with a good motivational speech. There's a lot of good motivational speakers out there, and they've got a lot of good stuff to say. But Christianity is deeper than just good motivational speeches. Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And that's what love is. Love, a Bible definition is keeping the Word of God. Love is a verb. I read a book once called Love is a Verb. Wonderful book, and it just showed ways love works. So love in the Bible, it's not just saying you love God. Well, of course, you ought to say you love God. That's a good thing. But then it's the actions that follow it. And so you go, yeah, but what about all those preachers out there that are just preaching this fluffy, feel-good stuff? You know, you raise your hand on Sunday a little bit, dance around, and all of a sudden you're going to heaven. Well, folks, you got to pick a choice. Pick a side. That, that's all I can say. Joshua said, choose you this day who you'll serve. And Jesus said, it is those who has his commandments and keeps them that will be loved by his Father, and they will manifest himself to them. That's over in John chapter 14 and verse 21. And you got verse 14 and 23 also there in John. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my word. My Father will love you back. That's what we want. But it has to be the love God recognizes. Now, I can preach any love you want me to preach. But that doesn't mean God's going to agree and God's going to recognize it. That's why we preach Bible-based ideas, book, chapter, and verse, and we want the Bible to be its own dictionary. Anybody can say anything they want to say. You want the book that God is going to use in His court. Christ said the words that He spoke will judge us in the last day, and that's where we need to go. So if you really love Him, 
then you walk according to his commandments. That's verbatim statement right out of 2 John and verse 6. So this love we're talking about, it's not resentful obedience. It's not feeling like, oh, I got to go to church or I'm going to go to hell. It's not that feeling like God's encroaching upon your free time or something. It's wanting God. It is really falling in love with the pursuit of God, really wanting a relationship and a connection with Him with all your heart. And that's where you want to go because to know God is eternal life. And without God, well, there's nothing but darkness and eternal ruin. So anybody can talk a good game about loving God. I get that. A lot of folks do talk a good game. But the evidence is in daily living. Evidence is what, what's really happening hour by hour, day by day, in your mundane, routine, redundant life. What's really weaving through there. And that's where we're looking for the love of God. We're looking for that, that diligence to honor God and let our lives adorn the doctrine of Christ, that kind of thing. So it's, it's really self-initiated and it's really based on book, chapter, and verse. And, and if you get stuck in, in a place and you, you stumble and you fall down, that's all right. You get back up and you keep trying. All of us are going to stumble. The difference is some people start justifying their stumble and they start watering down the gospel and lowering the level so much that, you know, there's just no challenge left to it. Or you can keep trying to be holy as God is holy and really learn to perfect holiness as Paul would write about in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1. So that's number six on our list is we're going to learn to love God the way God describes love in the Bible. That's a challenge, absolutely, but this is a challenge. That's why Jesus said, straight and narrow is the way, and few there be who find it. It's a whole lot easier to play the definition game and change terms to suit yourself than to change yourself to fit the terms that God set. Now we're going to go to number seven, and that is we learn to share Jesus. We, we learn to sow the seed of the kingdom. Christ said in the, what we call the Great Commission to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. That's what we're going to do. It's not a private matter that I get to keep to myself or you keep to yourself. We don't get to hide in the closet, but we let our light shine before men so they can see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. At least that's what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 15. So a lot of folks, they're just not on the devil's radar at all because they're not shining. They're not even a threat to the devil. In fact, Satan will let you play church all day long as long as you're not really being faithful to God. And if you go read Matthew 7, 21 through 23, we got people who said they cast out demons, prophesied, did many wonders, and Jesus said, look, I never knew who you were. So it is possible to play church, have a reputation that you're alive, and be totally dead at the same time. Check Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1, and the Christians at Sardis, who had a name that they were alive, but they were totally dead. Now, when you get out there and you start trying to sow the seed, and there's going to be a learning curve here, I want you to keep Matthew 10 and 16 in mind. That's where he tells us to be wise as servants, harmless as doves. Look, don't shoot yourself in the foot. Don't go out there and be belligerent or 
hateful about it. We're supposed to speak the truth in love, according to Ephesians 4 and 14. Maybe that's verse 15. Uh, and a lot of folks are just out there. I don't even think the devil has to fight against the religious community anymore because we're doing enough, let me just be blunt, stupid things as it is as an overall religious community. Uh, it any Hollywood to fight us. In fact, you've got churches out there incorporating Hollywood and all of Hollywood's immorality into their church teaching. I mean, all we're doing is handing it to Satan on a silver platter. All he's got to do is sit back and laugh and reap. Well, I don't know if rewards is the right word, but, but you get the idea. We want to love Christ, and we want to share Christ, and he's going to be the centerpiece of our life if we're really Christian. And that means our light's going to shine. And that's going to be a big part of how we sow the seed. There are a lot of folks out there that they say they want to sow the seed, but you look at their life and you go, man, if that's what Christianity did for you, I already have enough problems and pain in my life. I don't want to be miserable. You know, there's some Christians that don't look like they've been happy for 42 years. Why in the world would anybody want to be a Christian when they're around that kind of gloom and doom? Well, of course they wouldn't. And so the first thing we want to do before we start worrying about arguing doctrine and discussing things is really, really get ourselves anchored so that that light really is shining through our life first. Now, every opportunity you have to share it in words, you share it in words. But be respectful. Be loving. Be, be clever about it. Don't shoot yourself in the foot and don't be a burden on Christianity when you ought to be out there being a blessing on Christianity. So how do you do that? <laughs> well, it takes training and experience. I wish I had a magic bullet, a magic formula, a magic three-step process where I could just give this to you in three parts and you'd go out and you would be the most effective personal witness for Christ that anybody has ever seen. Look, Jesus is sending us onto the battlefield. We're getting into the boxing ring. We're going to get hit, and we're going to get our nose bloodied a few times. We're going to take some lumps. That's part of the training process. And like they say, everybody's got a good plan until they get punched in the face, and that's the same way we're going to be. And we're going to have to learn to step back, analyze, lick our wounds, recover, and get back up. And that's the hard part. Get back up and get in the fight and not let Satan scare us and win because we got our feelings hurt. We're going to get our feelings hurt. That's the way it goes. That's part of this spiritual battle. And so what I want you to do is learn to cultivate that, that fire burning in your belly where, where you can't sit still. you you got to get out. you you got to shine. you you got to share the gospel when you have the opportunity. And, and you're going to advance to the point where you can start looking for opportunities to share the gospel. Now, when you start creating those opportunities and learning how to weave it in, now, <laughs> now you're going to be an important force in your community, and God is going to smile on you. So now, that was number seven. Let's move on to number eight. Um, this, this gets tough in our selfish society right here. But I'm going to tell you, you've got to have, you must learn to have a servant's heart. 
Nobody, not me, not you, not anybody, wants to feel like we're being used or abused or taken advantage of. When we practice Christianity and we try to bring other people into Christianity, it must be a blessing in their life. And Jesus gave us the example when he said he came to serve and not to be served. Jesus didn't come to line his pockets and get rich and live a comfortable life. Remember, he said foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He didn't walk around in a lap of luxury. He lived a hard life. But now that was a man you could trust, right? You knew he wasn't going to use you. He wasn't out there to abuse you. He had your spiritual good at heart. And really, isn't that what you're looking for? Isn't there something deep in you when you stop to think about it? This is, man, I'd love to have met Jesus. Okay. Spiritually, through the Word, yes, you can. But you know, there are a lot of folks out there that have that same urge. And the closest they're going to get is you imitating Jesus. And so you go, well, you know, who, what, when, where, how? How do I make this work? Don't overthink it. I think that's one of the things that uh, the devil gets us caught up on is we get to overthinking this and we make it so complicated and then we feel so overwhelmed that we never do anything. Look, Jesus made it really simple. It's a little bit hidden between the lines. I don't think it's that hidden, but he talked about the day of judgment and he's going to invite some people in and he was going to say, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was prison, you came to visit me. And they're going, Lord, we, we never saw you in any of those situations. And he goes, in as much as you did it unto one of these, the least of my brethren, you did it to me. That's over Matthew 25. Look around verse 37 there. What I'm saying to you is, do the simple things right there around you right now. It doesn't have to be anything big. It doesn't have to be anything profound. A little courtesies, just little nice things, little considerations, thoughtfulnesses. Uh, give somebody a phone call. Just an encouraging phone call. You know somebody's going through trouble, give them a phone call. You don't have the answers. You know you don't have the answers, but you can encourage them. And go, look, I'm, I'm just thinking about you. I know you're going through a hard time. Now, let me say something a little on the harsh side here. If we don't have the self-discipline to pick up the phone and call somebody we know going through a hard time and give them a moment of encouragement, we're already dead in the water. We're never going to pick up our cross and follow after Jesus and do the really hard, straight, and narrow stuff if we can't pick up a phone and make a phone call. I mean, there are a lot of whiny, crybaby Christians out there that need to get over themselves and put on their big boy pants and finally learn how to be mature in Christ. Maybe you ought to save that for another rant. So, real Christians aren't going to sit around focusing on themselves. They're going to look around their community. And I, I mean, really just start. Are you married? Look at your mate. You have kids, look at your kids. Extended family, look there. You're in a church family, I hope, look there. Look right there where you live, where you work, where you contact people and say, how can I serve these people today? And that's where it's going to start. And then if something really big comes along and you get to go to Washington or be on national TV and advocate for Christ, go for it. <laughs> But most of us are going to advocate with the people that are in our house and that we work with and live next to 
I can go to church with. And that's where you have to focus. So real Christians have a servant's heart. They have a passion and a hunger to get out there and make a positive difference in the life of others. Now we get to number nine, and this isn't a fun one, but this is really where you're going to get the benefit, and that is real Christians learn how to suffer, and they learn how to grow from suffering. Now, it's a lot harder than it, it really is. I mean, come on, in America, how hard is it? What chances are, now I know there are exceptions, but chances are the worst thing that's ever happened to you is somebody said bad words to you about your faith. So what? Let them say words. Words don't mean anything. Let those roll on. That, there, there's some folks that are suffering and have suffered in past times that really suffered and would have been happy just to have words thrown their way. So the Bible tells us that everybody who desires to live godly in Christ is going to suffer persecution. That's 2 Timothy 3.12. And, and so we don't look at it as something to avoid. No, I'm not telling you to go look for it. But when it comes, don't cry and get into a pity party. That's what I'm saying. Life's going to give you plenty to suffer about. And when it comes, you embrace it. You understand the blessing in suffering. And you look for that blessing. And you go, look, this, this is all training. This is the spiritual gem. I didn't enlist in Christianity to be coddled and be babied and have somebody pamper me all the time. I enlisted in Christianity to become a soldier of Christ. In fact, I don't want to be just a soldier of Christ. I want to be the Navy SEAL of Christianity. I want to be the special forces. That's the attitude I want you to have. And then when you run into things in life that are not pleasant, whether they're just happenstance or somebody's got it in for you, you can understand what James said when he said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You go, wait a minute. <laughs> did he just say count it all joy? Yes, he did. Well, what's the deal with that? It's training. It's all training. And if you'll count it joy and embrace the training, just like an athlete going to his training, then you will grow and mature and you will learn to be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if that's strange to you, go back over to James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, and just really look at that passage close. Trials and troubles are the fire that heat the crucible to bring the dross out of our soul so that we can really be the Christians we imagine ourselves to be. It's tough. I'm not telling you this is easy, but I'm telling you that's what real Christianity does. We know that we're going to enter the kingdom through many tribulations, Acts 14, 22, and we go for it. We embrace it because that's what we enlisted in Christianity to do. So a lot of Christians... Man, suffering? That's <laughs> not even on their list, is it? I got a hundred things on the list, and suffering didn't make it. Look at so much of modern Christianity. I'm ashamed for these people. It's all about parties and picnics and fun times and entertainment and water slides and bouncy houses and on and on and on it goes. I've seen times where they mention all these things and never mention a Bible or a sermon. What happened to the days when, man, people used to get together and have two-week revivals? And if a preacher didn't preach at least an hour, they weren't going to have him back. He wasn't worth giving time in the pulpit if all he could give was 15 minutes. 
Well, now we're lucky if people attack 10 minutes of some kind of little shallow milk toast devotional onto a three-hour party. It's sad. That's where we're at. And that's what real Christians are going to have to learn how to contend with. On to number 10, and then we'll wind her down. And that is, real Christians are imperfect, but we're persistent. Now, somebody say, man, how does a person do all 10 of these things? <laughs> you don't, not perfectly. You stumble and you bumble. One of my personal favorite verses is James 3, 2. That's where he tells us we all stumble in many things. All right. I don't have to be perfect from the get-go. This, this is a training process. There is a learning curve here, and I get to learn, and I get to stumble, and I get to reevaluate and learn from my stumble, and I get to get back up and start all over again. That's the way all training works. That's the way kindergarten worked, first grade, 12th grade, college, career days. That's the way everything works. Why would we expect Christianity to be any different? People get converted, you know, and then all of a sudden they make three mistakes and they go, well, I'm done. I couldn't do it. Well, no, you can't do it in a week. It's going to take you a lifetime of practice. And even Paul, Philippians 3.12, said, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Paul didn't even see himself as perfected yet. He was still pressing on. That's getting near the end of his life. So we're going to stumble. We're going to bumble. Sometimes we're going to make some real ugly mistakes. We're human. But we're never going to play strike one year out. In fact, we're not going to play strike three year out or strike 100 year out. Christ said, if we'll confess our trespasses, he's just and faithful to forgive us. And so we're going to look at our mistakes and we're going to go, look, I missed the target on that one. That was a sin. And then we're going to get up and go, you know, but I can do better next time. And we're going to keep pressing on the upward way. We are going to learn to present our bodies living sacrifices. And the only one in the end that you've got to please is not some cranky critic that sits on the pew who never does anything but sit around and picket folks. The only one you've got to please is God in heaven. And at the end, if he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, you're going into heaven for all eternity. And if at the end he says, depart, I know you're not, well, you know how that one's going to work out too. So we're imperfect. We're going to mess up, but we're going to have a really strong get back up muscle. We're going to have that muscle that I don't care if the devil knocks me down 400 times. I'm going to get up 400 times and I'm going to keep going because I'm not going to let that fella defeat me. That's not happening. So it's that persistence that I'm pressing on the upward way, not persistence in lukewarmness, per persistent in reaching higher ground. That's more evidence of what a real Christian is. So now that's all 10 of them. I want to remind you, go back to the book. Don't trust any speaker exclusively. Listen to preachers. Sometimes we've got something good to say. Sometimes we don't. You go back to looking for ink on the page, book, chapter, and verse. You read that book because that book, that Bible, that's your map. The way David said it in Psalm 119, 105, is thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you make it to heaven, 
It's because you followed the map that God gave you to get to heaven. So give those things a thought, roll them over, conclude any comments you want, share this with anybody you want to share it with, and as always, I hope you have a great day.